You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 125, House of Blue Light, part one. And coming to you from the overheated suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you, 129 miles away from Southern Maine, I'm your co-host, John Lobster Matola. <laughs> I like how that all of your um, intros now are your your location relative to another place. So we can we're really going to be able now, to like, if you keep doing, doing this to, via Google Maps, someone's going to be able to triangulate exactly what your address is. And show up. All right, that's house. it. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Don't all, do, if you the, do one more, you're in trouble. <laughs> all the time now. I've done it like twice. <laughs> and one more. That only takes three. And you see that somebody's going to be at your front door. Hey, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> We're holding Security. a Mr. Bill doll. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, gosh. She was carrying it again the other day. Really? Yeah. Oh, Actually, she was coming, came down the stairs and I have like a I have like a summer hat, like a straw hat. And she's just like, hi, I like your hat. And I was like, thanks. As I'm like <laughs> jamming the key in, trying to like get into my house. So, you know, before <laughs> that's when you drop knife. your keys and you're like, oh, no, <laughs> it's just like the horror movies. <laughs> I wind up with a steak knife in my bag or something. Oh man! Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh but, man. Anyways, yeah. So, um, so, um, yeah. You you already know where, where my where my uh, nickname came from was. Is I was um, I, I took a few few days vacation before this uh this terrible hurricane came tearing through the northeast. <laughs> um at least in Rhode Island, it was like, uh, I've, I've been telling people that I've had more, I've seen more action, like turning on a fan and then just like, you know, pointing it toward my shower and walking in. Um, <laughs> that's, um, yeah, basically like nothing happened here. I mean, Southern Rhode Island, it did, but I live in Northern Rhode Island and that was, it's amazing. Like how a little bit of distance like that, like what, 30 miles, like is like, yeah. you know, makes all the, like I've, worked with some people that were like you know immediately lost power you know their houses were flooded and like me i had like you know two leaves down in my yard seriously i uh, i remember um years ago i worked with a guy from turkey and there was this big big earthquake in turkey so i like went to check in i was like hey is are your friends and family all, all right and you know it's like it's a huge country, so it's it was it'd be like if something happened in, I don't know, Ohio, and someone came to you, John, and was like, "Is is, is are your family okay? Like, is everything okay?" There's flooding in Ohio, so you know, I, I didn't know. I think you I think you appreciated, but at the same time, thought I was an ignorant idiot, which is probably true. Right. Uh, but of course, I didn't know where in Turkey he was from. But it's kind of the same. But but with Rhode Island, it's so tiny. If something affects yeah. one part of it, it's usually bad. My cousin um, Lisa is in Jamestown, and they lost power like immediately. Mm. But she's got yeah. a generator, so it was just. They were fine. But uh, yeah, it was pretty wacky up here. But, um, you know, I would like missed like, I mean, when when I was coming back, I went up with one of my friends and we went to um, a gunkwit, which is um, right on the water. So we got a hotel and everything that was like five minutes from the beach. It was beautiful. Nice. Um, but um, one of, you know, one of the um, one of the days in um, 
one of the days it rained. So, I mean, you know, there wasn't much to do, but the next day we got a, a really nice one. And then like, that's when we heard like, oh, there's a hurricane coming. We're like, well, we're leaving at just the right time. And then it like took a sharp, I think it took a sharp turn West and just like pretty much missed all of us somehow uh, or the worst of it anyways. But when I was texting you, you're just like, oh, have some lobster for me. And I'm just like, I, I don't like lobster. And you were like appalled, <laughs> appalled. You were like, what? And I'm like, I'm like, well, I mean, you know, I mean, I didn't go. I mean, you know, I've I've gone to Boston and had haven't had baked beans either. So, I mean, you know, it's <laughs> it's not quite the same. <laughs> oh, people, I'm going to Boston. Oh, you got to have a big pot of baked beans. <laughs> you just have to. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of. But Is there I even such a thing as Boston? Ba- like all the only Boston baked beans I know are those candies. Which I, I actually I have know. two boxes of upstairs. My father-in-law brought them over, and I was like, oh, I used to love these when I was a kid. There's a liquor store on oh. my walk home from school that I used to go to every day. The guy just yeah. at that counter just smoking and selling booze. He probably would have sold me booze even though I was like 12. But I, I went <laughs> in, and he probably would have sold me cigarettes or booze, but I, I just wanted Boston baked beans. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we went – I mean, we're only up there for a few days, but I mean, I think I went the whole time with – I don't think either one of us had any seafood. What? Oh my god! Now, <laughs> now I'm really upset. We're not big on seafood. If it's from the sea, know? it's not for me. Your Italian heritage, your New England heritage. I mean, everything's just out the window now. I eat pasta. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna count for something. I do like. I do like fish. No I feast. Just, of, I don't your like... family doesn't do the feast of the seven fishes. Um, we've we've done it on. Um, I mean, like a while ago, I mean, you know, if I, as I mentioned, my parents are retired now, so they're kind of over having like, you know, large get togethers. Um, but I mean, say like up until like, you know, maybe five years ago or maybe a little bit more, uh, they would do that on uh, Christmas Eve or around yeah. Christmas Eve, because on actual Christmas Eve, you couldn't have like, you know, 20 people over because everybody's got their own stuff to do. So, sure. <clears throat> but um. Yeah, my mom and, uh, you know, my brother would help uh, cook it because he's a, you know, excellent cook. And, um, you know, of course, she'd need help because she can't do it on her own. So she would do like the um, everything from like the the the, the scallops wrapped in bacon, smelts, mm. calamari, like, oh, the, yeah. um, you know, the, the pasta with the alige, like, beautiful, um, you know, the, the whole nine yards. And it's like um, not not all my favorite, you know, but um. Like I would love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Years ago, my, my same cousin that lost the power that I was just telling you about. So she's where we would always go for Christmas. We'd go to her house and they had some family in from Italy. Some of our family from Italy, I I guess they were my family. I I never really kind of figured out exactly who they were, but they were, they were visiting and they were, they were younger, like maybe, you know, in their early twenties at the time. And I was maybe in my early thirties and they came over. So my cousin, Lisa, she's a big like host. So she, oh, I'm going to make the feast of the seven fishes for them. So, so it'd be all like, authentic and everything. So they come over and they, they're serving all the food and everything. They just keep eating. She keeps bringing out more seafood and more seafood. And she, so she finally asked like, how, you know, how is everything? She's like, they're like, it's really good. Uh, we're, we're just, we're just curious. Uh, 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 of course this is with a Italian accent. They, they were like, why so much fish? <laughs> Why so much, so many fish? <laughs> and she's like, well, it's the Feast of the Seven Fishes. And they're like, what is this Feast of the Seven Fishes? Like, they had, they had never heard of it. Um, so, 
<laughs> so she's upset. So they call their mom back in Italy, and she's like, "What is this feast of the seven fishes?" No one had ever heard of it. Turns out it's an Italian American thing. It's not an actual Italian thing. So um, yeah, there's <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's a lot of that. Um, you know, people can't distinguish, or or and I mean, you know, you can't really blame them because I mean, like stereotypes or traditions or whatever you know, what have you, or started for, you know, all cultures, like, you know, Americanized or whatever. And then the real, like in, in our case, the real Italians, like, you know, my, you know, my, my brother was home and, um, we went to, um, one of my friend's houses and they're like, um, uh, you know, real, real, you know, they like real Italian American stuff. So she's just like, do they have chicken parm in Italy? You know? And he's just <laughs> like, they have eggplant parm. Yeah. You know, they're like, you know, he's like basically like, they didn't really do that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, or, you know, I mean, it would just be like, so what did they use in Italy for sauce? Ragu? You're like, oh, <laughs> no, prego. oh my heart. No, prego only. <laughs> prego. But, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's just like a lot of the stuff is like, um, yeah, re, you know, people that actually live in the culture, like, well, what are you talking? What is this? What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, what, what is this? What yeah. is this stuff? But, um, but anyways, um. I don't know. There's something that I wanted to, <laughs> there's something really funny. I don't know if I should like, uh, cause I know now I'm going back to my, to my trip, but, um, and I don't want it to take too long. So, I mean, I can wait till after, or I could do a few now. <laughs> a few? Was, you got like a few bits. Pl- <laughs> <I> have, <laughs> did you write, hey, did have, you actually write out I, some scripts? Like <laughs> I have some bits. Hey, Hey, hey no respect. Well, um, write, write in and let us know, um, how you feel about John's seafood approach and going to Maine and not having lobster. That might be, it might be pretty divided. Um, I, I'm, I, I have no problem with, you know, you like what you like and that's totally fine. I, I wasn't you're upset. Like, what? Uh, I was, I was just kind of, cause like for me, if I went to Lo- uh, Maine, it, I'd have to have as many lobster rolls as possible. Um, uh, just kind of reminds me of my, my childhood and being able to have a little bit more ready access to such things. But oh, anyway, it is, don- it is I, what it is. I had donuts. <laughs> they had oh, a great donut place. Up oh, there. what pl- what place is it in Portland? Uh, no, no, it was in uh, Wells, which is the next. Oh town yeah, over. yeah, yeah. Because I drove by it, and you know, I had all these people out there. It was called Congdon's Donuts. Con- One of my favorite it's- rappers is from Wells, Maine. His yeah, Spose. He's fantastic. I didn't know you had a favorite rapper. <laughs> he's, one, well, he's not. I, he might be my favorite. One of them. He's he's great. Um, probably mm. not a lot of crossover though with Deep Purple. Or any but, of our uh, listeners. <laughs> but there was, um, and like I said, I don't know if you want me to, but I mean, I was, I was dying. So uh, when I was doing it, because one of these days, like I'll, I'll try and make it short. So it was like, it was, it was just downpouring. So we're like, well, let's go to Portland. Speaking mm-hmm. of which, you know, he's like, you know, there's, um, there's a mall up there. And so like, you know, to skip ahead, we wound up getting up there and, um, you know, I know it doesn't sound exciting, but I mean, there wasn't anything to do outside. So, you know, there was a place they had, um, uh, you know, an arcade bowling, you know, they had like the, the whole mall experience, you know, I hadn't actually gone and walked through a mall with stores in a while. So, I mean, you know, it was, mm. it was cool. It was kind of fun to like, you know, walk through there and like, uh, you know, into a few different stores and like, you know, people watched and like, you know, it was, um, you know, it was, it was something to do until like, you know, the rain let up and then we went back and, you know, we're able to go out and go to some bars and stuff like that. But on the way, <clears throat> like there were a lot of places like in a town like that, you know, small town, it's like a lot of restaurants and stuff were closed and we didn't have any, any breakfast, you know, mm-hmm. when it was about lunchtime. So we're going by and it's just like, and the service up there was terrible. So, you know, on that, there's, there's like one main road through 
the town. So there was like no side streets. So, I mean, it was like, it was just one long line of traffic. So it was raining and we were hungry and bored, you know, so then we couldn't look anything up. Wet, hungry and bored. Oh, so we finally went by. It's like, you know, he's like, well, how about like, you know, this, there's a, looks like there's a pizza place up here that's open, you know, and it was like in a strip plaza type place. And, you know, so we're like, all right. And you know me, I like to, you know, he's like, oh, how about like, there's a dairy queen up there. I don't want to go to no dairy queen. You know, it's just like, <laughs> You know, or like Applebee's or something. It's like, I want to go somewhere where we could like, you know, but I mean, yeah, I don't even think the freaking Dairy Queen was open, but, you know, we saw this pizza place and we're like, all right, you know, it's there. It looks small. It looks local. You know, let's go in. We walked in and immediately we knew that this was not going to be good. You know, it's just like, it looked like a towny pizza place, you know, the old menu yep. with the Coke logo up there, carpet all over the floor, like two old ladies, just the only people in there, like. So in there, the the woman was like, you know, really unimpressed that we came in to like, you know, buy anything. Why are you? Why are you? Why are you uh, taking advantage of my business here? Exactly. Here. This isn't for so, you. I mean, you know, we got you know a pizza, fries, a couple of drinks, whatever. Um, it was like mm, it was all right. It wasn't yeah. horrible, but um, but I mean, there was a guy up there, and he was just like, I don't know if they were a husband and wife, but I mean, he seemed to be the owner, and like you know, uh, my, my friend asked for extra pepperoni. So she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, sure. And then after like, you know, we pay it was like, I don't know, something 25 bucks. It was, I don't know. I didn't think it was expensive, but anyways, we, we paid. And then they started arguing. He's like, you didn't charge him enough for the extra pepperoni or something. We just <laughs> like right like, in front of you. <laughs> yeah. He just like, like sideways sidling out the door. Oh, do, do, do. <laughs> So we just walked to the table and we're just like, well, maybe if we like slink away, they're not going to be like, hey, you get back here. <laughs> you owe us an extra dollar seventy five. Well, you know, if the if the place makes a mistake, then that's on them. You know, well, they're not going to demand yeah. more money. I mean, if they overcharged us, then we have the right to ask for money back. But if they do that, oh, it's our mistake. It's on us. You know, so they didn't say anything. Hey, come here. But come anyways, <laughs> when, when we le- when we left, I was like, I got to look up reviews for this place. Uh, once we get service and we did, and it was not good. <laughs> and, and, the, and the, the further that I went down the rabbit hole, the more that I laughed because it was like all like consistent or the like all the reviews basically were saying the same thing. So it got to the point of it being ridiculous. So maybe, so, maybe what we should do then is um, we should, after the episode, you can, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll only get, we'll get halfway through the album and maybe we can, as a little stinger at the end, you can treat us to some of these reviews. All right. I think that's a good idea because um, <laughs> I want to hear them <laughs> because they're like, <laughs> there's some really good ones. <laughs> there's some really good ones. All right. I'll keep them. Uh, yeah. Keep, all right, yeah, folks. Keep, so there's keep, a uh, incentive to skip to the end. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the incentive is already like, hey, you, you assholes, we want to hear something about Deep Purple. <laughs> 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 the incentive is to get through to get through this opening uh this opening uh diatribe here um speaking anyway, of which hey spoiler if, so don't don't do us dirty like you did that pizza place in maine uh leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts uh tell us why you love the show uh you can buy merch at our etsy store we've got mugs and t-shirts available you can also support the show by becoming a patron on patreon or through paypal um, you can donate one time or click on the make this a monthly donation box on the site. If you want to get a one time shout out on the show or you want to get a shout out on every show, that is up to you. And speaking of that, we have to thank our wonderful uh, 
supporters of the show. And our first group is the executive level patrons. Uh, at the Turn It Up to $11 tier, we have Clay Wambacher, Frank Teelgard Mortensen, Alan Ain't Too Proud to Beg, and Mickel Steen. And at the $10 Someone Came tier, Steve Seaborg of NameOnAnything.com and AllTheWorldsOfStage.net, Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, uh, Gerald Kelly, and of course, Victor Campos. Thank you to all of you for your support of the Deep Purple podcast. Um, you can check out some more shows, like-minded shows to us at the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Um, all those great shows are available for you to check out and support. And uh, uh, this is our final show before we maybe go to see the Dead Daisies. So <clears throat> we'll see. So, yeah, so they'll so we'll probably do part two. They'll probably be like a show sandwiched in between the two House of Blue Light episodes. So. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully next week we'll be coming to you from uh, uh, or, or at least have seen the show or who, who knows. I don't know where we'll be or what we'll be doing, but uh, trying to keep track of the, the timeline in my head of how this actually happens versus how we actually record the episodes. All right. House of Blue Light. John. Kick it off and tell me what your history is with this album, what you remember about it. I feel like my memory of it is skewed because you keep telling me that I didn't like it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that, I don't well, remember not liking it. So let me start. Yeah, let me start off. the by, I have what I believe is a false memory, kind of a, a Mandela effect sort of thing where in my head I had it as being one of those things that you're like, ah, it's as terrible as House of Blue Light. <laughs> I don't know why I have this, because I remember when we first started the show, um, I might have even been on the first episode I brought this up, or one of the first episodes, and you were like, no, I never disliked that album, or never hated that album. So I just, I have like years of my my brain of you treating this album like a punchline or a joke, or like you didn't like it, and I don't know why. Um, so that's my main memory, is kind of, <laughs> really kind of not giving it, you know, of course I listened to it, but I never really dove super deep into it, and I think it was mostly because I thought you hated it, <laughs> and I trusted your opinion. Um, so that's that's my prevailing memory. What is what is your memory of what actually happened? <laughs> I I, um, I mean, I remember that at the time, anyways, Deep Purple only had those couple of albums in the 80s, and um mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah, by like the, the early nineties, they had that, the live album. And I think, um, um, oh, what was the JLT one? Oh, Slaves of Masters. Yeah. Slaves of Masters. Sorry, I blanked out, but I think that was probably the latest one. So, I mean, it's not like yeah. we had all this other stuff that we have now. So, I mean, it was like, so I had already known the whole back catalog, um, and, you know, presumably had a lot of the Deep Purple family stuff that we've covered and everything. So this was like another, like, you know, right up, almost right up to where we were then, Deep Purple album. So I'm pretty sure that I had gotten it later because I know I didn't get it before I got all of the early ones, you know, in Rock mm-hmm. Machine Head <clears throat> and so forth. And, um, you know, I remember like not not, you know, not liking it as much as, you know, the seventies ones, but still thinking it was, you know, really good because I mean, you still had, um, you know, I mean, it was definitely like, you know, the production, everything is like poppier, deep purple. It was eighties, deep purple. It was, wasn't quite like, um, 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 
uh, Perfect Strangers. God, I'm blanking right. out on all the album titles today. <laughs> you can't remember any Deep Purple albums. Oh, well, this is because we're recording in the morning, so it's just like... <laughs> At night, he's had time to load them all into his databanks. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, we were just saying before the show, too, it's just like, it's wonderful when, like, you know, you're in your 40s, you wake up and you feel like you were drinking the night before, but you haven't drank anything. I woke up today and I'm like, oh, God. And I no. said, that's why you should just, you might as well just drink. Because <laughs> what's, what's the point if you're going to have a hangover anyway? And, you know, and, and, you know, oddly enough, when we, when I was on vacation, we drank every night and I woke up every morning, still eight o'clock on the dot and I felt fine. No. And, well, maybe except for that first morning I had the spins, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I but, remember when, um, when this, like when we started to get in Deep Purple, I guess, I guess the most recent album would have been Slaves and Masters, but I don't really remember seeing that one around. I remember House of Blue Light and Perfect Stranger. So I don't know if, I don't, I don't know if maybe I just wasn't paying attention or if it, if it didn't get the, the, the press or the marketing budget that the other two got, or it just, it well, didn't I seem to be hanging around in the record stores the same way, but it would have been more recent. Well, I don't think I was as interested um, in Slaves and Masters because it was basically all of Mark two, but no Ian Gillen. So I'm like, ah, eh, why bother? Yeah, right. But, um, but this one was like the second coming of Mark two. So it's like, um, and I think like, I know, I remember I was as influenced, you know, as like other people's opinions. Like when I was reading magazines and everything, it was like, uh, perfect strangers was like the second coming. It was this great album. And then house of blue light was just like, well, they're back. And, uh, you know, they did another album and yeah, you know, it's just yeah. like they they came back with a like thunderous and then everybody was just kind of over it. And this album was just kind of like I, I remember specifically and I wish I could remember which magazine it was. But, you know, and it was probably some idiot journalist like opinion or whatever. But it's basically like, you know, something something to the effect of like, you know, five, you know, five virtuosos like, you know, that don't get along and they're not on the top of their game anymore. And they just got together and made an album. You know, so it's mm -hmm. basically like here's like, you know, it almost almost like, you know, if you think about it, selling selling it like um, who do we think we are? Like, you know, they're all great musicians and they're all recording an album and it just didn't work because they're, you know, fighting again or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I mean, who even knows like what the real story was? I mean, you know, it's like, it, you know, we know the real story is just that like. You know, I always thought like when bands broke up or a singer left or something, they got into this huge fight and like everybody hated yeah. each other. And I mean, sometimes it happened that way or sometimes people are just like, well, my contract's up or I want to do a solo album or, you know, I want to spend more time with my family. And everybody's like, great, we'll come over for hot dogs sometimes. Have a great, have a nice day. <laughs> I don't know. But you know what I mean? Yeah, sometimes so it's, it's like, less so dramatic. Yeah. Right. So I was all into the drama, especially the whole, you know, Richie versus Ian drama. So like by the time Slaves and Masters came out, it's like, oh, they got in a fight again. And, you know, Gillen's gone. Or, but I mean, um, you know, listening to this album, like and not having heard it for a while, I do remember there being like, you know, like a handful of tracks on it that I really liked, you know. Um, yep. And um, like I said, the overall album, I, I can't remember like hating it, but I know, you know, didn't love it as much as the, the early albums, but I know that, like I said, there was like, I don't know. I'm going to guess like, you know, at least half the album I thought was, was really good. I do know that there were a bunch of songs on there that I think are, you know, pretty cool. So, um, well, and like yeah, we discovered, and like we discovered, you 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 had gone through your old sketches and found yourself. You did a you had done a sketch of the the House of Blue Light album cover. So like, why would you have done that if you hated the album? 
Right. Well, it was, I remember it was in the album cover and I feel like I might've even done it when I was like at, um, at Paul's house hanging out with either him or him and you. Yeah. And it was the, I think it was the back jacket or whatever, where it was like the, the door and then all the little squares of like pictures of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I remember like drawing that while listening to the album. Mm-hmm. So you know, but I mean, I also could have like visually Kids don't understand, man. That's like what you do for fun. You'd like put on music. And then like, I remember when my, I had, yeah. my, there was a problem with my computer. Like I had this big clunky old computer in my room when I was like, I don't know, like 13 or 14, maybe 15. Um, and it like, I, you know, you'd play computer games or I'd, I'd write stories on the computer and like my computer went down and I didn't have it for a whole weekend. So that was like my weekend. I would like, I put on like an album and I draw and that, that yeah. was my entertainment for the, for the entire weekend. I, I, yeah. I don't know if anybody does that anymore. Sadly. I mean, for better or worse. Yeah. No, but you know what? I mean, same thing, you know, I mean, I, I would do it on my own, but I remember like, you know, and like I said, I can't remember when you were there and when you weren't, but I remember going to, you know, Paul's house and I remember it was huge, <clears throat> you know, that yeah, huge yeah. house that he had in the, you know, they lived in an, um, uh, Winsocket. Um, and just going, and it was the middle of summer. And I just remember going up to, I don't, I, I think it was, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure it was his room. I remember it. Like it was like, I can still picture it, but I remember like the, the AC going, like the room was like a meat locker and I'm like, yes, yeah. it's the best. <laughs> yeah. And we would just, and we would just put on like, you know, we would just put on like, that's what we do hanging out was we would put on like albums, like whatever we listen to and just like just like draw shit and hang out draw or write stories or yeah, yeah draw whatever, or write yeah. stories. Like, and it's like, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like, we didn't, we didn't have like on the TV. We obviously didn't have, you know, phones or internet or anything. We just, we just hung out, you know, and it's yeah. like, you're right. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, I'm sure that, you know, there are people that still can get into it, but I mean, with the way that things are now, it's, it's almost seems like a lost art. I mean, I, I certainly don't do it. I, I, you know, it's it's funny to think about that. Like, you know, it just like I would hang out in my room and I had like a sketch table, mm-hmm. you know, my parents had bought for me at one point because I was so into um, art, you know, because it was like, you know, kind of tilted like that. So you could, you yeah, know, yeah. instead of it being flat and I would just have on like, you know, at that point, like a 25 CD changer or whatever, and just have the mix going mm-hmm. like all night while I would, you know, just sketch and like whatever else, you know, I can't even remember what I came up with. I saved a lot of it, obviously, but you know, I would spend like hours like drawing and I drew a lot of pictures of deep purple too. a lot of Ian Gillen, because I mean, I like, I loved like, you know, that mane of hair, like just drawing it was like, you know, a challenge. Plus I thought he looked so cool, you know, especially in the era when he like the, I think it was maybe like, um, uh, Gillen and right before Sabbath when he wore like the bandana. Like, yeah, like Gillen with the bandana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll have to, you have like, to dig up really... your uh, your House of Blue Light sketch for this episode. Put it in the yeah. show notes. Yeah, I gotta um, figure out where it is. But I know you sent it to me a while ago. But so as far as this album goes, the lead up to it, I mean, you described what you read in that magazine, and it's pretty pretty accurate from the from the timeline. I've got like this my stack of go to Deep Purple books here for for Deep Purple albums. So you've got. Ian Gillen's Child in Time, uh, Smoke on the Water, The Deep Purple Story by Dave Thompson, The Complete Deep Purple by Michael Heatley, uh, Black Knight, Richie Blackmore by Jerry Bloom, and then A Heart Life by Colin Hart. So uh, it's interesting. Every time we go through an album, you see I have all these like bookmarks in there. I'll leave it to where I where I am. So then we go to the next Deep Purple album or Rainbow, whatever it is. You can you read 
these different accounts. You've got two um, outsiders to the band. Then you've got Ian Gillen's account of what happened. And then essentially Rick, Richie Blackmore's through, um, through Jerry Bloom. And then Colin Hart as the someone who was there, but was observing everything in his own light. So it's very interesting seeing the same story played out through um, mm. someone who read about it, someone who was there, but not in the band technically. And then Richie and Ian's accounts. So I've tried to put together a timeline of exactly what happened, taking that all into account. I mean, for the most part, they're all telling the exact same story, but it's interesting to see just those little twists you get between Gillen, Blackmore, Colin and the others. Um, so in the winter of 1985, Gillen and Glover begin working on this new album. Uh, they got together. Uh, Gillen says they got together without Blackmore because Blackmore wasn't really interested in listening to them uh, in the spring of. So it's already the winter of 84. <laughs> here it is. It's less than two years since they got back together. And. Mm. It's starting to get back to the way it was. In the spring of 1986, they returned to Stowe, Vermont, where they had recorded Perfect Strangers. Um, early on, Gillen said that there didn't seem to be like much motivation by the band to put the album together. They were just like, kind of like, well, we did, they just got off a hugely successful tour. They're at the top of the world again, and they're just like, well, I guess you know what happens next. We have to make another album. In the old days, they would have had to make an album, and if they released one in 84, they would have had to make another one in 85, but at least they got a couple years off. Yeah. Um, uh, so just as with Perfect Strangers, Colin Hart is given the job of finding a place to record. They wanted to stay in Stowe, and this time they found the Stowe Playhouse and rigged up Le Mobile to uh, use as a mobile recording studio. So what they'd used with Rainbow. Um, each member this time, he says he had to book separate accommodation. So everyone was staying in their own place with their own families or girlfriends or wives or kids, whoever. So it was kind of a little bit more fragmented. And I think... Was it this? Oh, no, I think it was when they were mixing that Colin Hart was pretty close by. So he could actually just go to the studio for the day and then um, go home at the end of the night, which to him was like a a, a marvel. That's not a, not a luxury they often got. Um, so Gillen and Glover arrive ahead of time, start working on material. And then the standard argument kind of crops up again where Richie wants uh to be really careful about, well, don't give him credit for this writing this, and don't give them credit for writing this. Richie is really wants to make sure his, his uh, residuals are getting split as little as possible. So he's like, I'll split them with Gillen and Glover, but I don't want, I don't think John Lord and Ian Pace should get anything because they're not involved with the writing. Um, and kind of being a little nitpicky about that. Uh, so in Colin Hart's book, he says that he disagreed with that, um, not that it mattered but he didn't think it was right because he says that the way that deep purple works like what we've heard many 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 times they all get together in a room they start jamming riffs and he thinks that what lord and pace contributed was just as valuable to the songs and the songwriting process as what the other three were doing coming in with probably the most of the core ideas so Hart, <clears throat> so Hart says they started again in all these fights but gillen was the only one that would confront richie about about them uh so what would happen is Glover, Pace, or Lord, if they had an issue, they'd be like, what he says, and I think is his exact word, I don't have it here, his exact quote was something like, they would bitch to Ian Gillen about it, and then he would confront Richie about it, and then he says, uh, he says the others would load the gun as long as Ian would fire it. Um, so, so what ends up happening is you've got these situations, and then he says, kind of rightly so, uh, Richie you know, in defense of Richie, he'd say, well, nobody else ever said anything about this. So he kind of trying to think like, well, the spokesperson for the 
This guy's claiming he's speaking for everyone, but is he just you've you've worked with people like that before? Everyone says that they don't like this. And you're like, is it really everybody or is it just you? Yeah, I was I was <laughs> you, actually thinking like this sounds really familiar yes. to like what happens at work. You know, it's so like, it's uh, yeah, that one person keeps coming to you and say everyone's complaining about this. Everyone's complaining about that. And then after a while, you realize, well, are they really complaining about it or is it just you? It's like, oh, everyone is you and the other big mouth that, you know, <laughs> exactly. And there's 80 and other like, people no, that don't actually care about it at all. Yeah. Um, so it could have been like a situation like that. So when you start thinking of it in those terms, like like as, as like work terms, because this is their job, uh, it, it does kind of p- put a new light on it. Um, so Hart says that Richie at this point kind of wanted out of the band. He he was done. He just didn't know what he was going to do. Um, he, he, uh, Colin's interpretation of it was that Richie. And he'd worked with Richie for a really long time. He says, Richie didn't know, wanted out of the band, didn't know what he was going to do out of the band. So since he didn't really have a plan yet, he was just going to make things difficult for everybody (laughs) and just be, and just be Richie. Um, So that's what kind of his take on what happened. Um, Hart says that Gillen and Glover were like off in one corner writing. Richie was keeping to himself. And then uh, John Lord and Ian were what we call like non-confrontational observers, just hanging back and just being like, we're going to, you know, not make any waves, just do what we need to do. And then Gillen describes the writing conditions as less than optimal in his book, uh, In Child of Time. He says that he and Roger were in the small windowless room with bits and scraps of paper and everything everywhere. And for that reason, that they decided uh, to drive the whole mobile unit down to Roger's house in Connecticut. And then they finished the tracks. Um, the tracks Mad Dog, Spanish Archer, Bad Attitude, and Unwritten Law. They finished them all up with Nick Bilgona separate so that they had a little bit more space to spread out. And they finished the record by the end of June, but no one really seemed to be super jazzed about it. They were like, it's done. They weren't like, it's done, yay. They were like, it's done, let's move on. There wasn't like a lot of fanfare. Hmm. So... That's the kind of lead up to the uh, recording of the album. The personnel, you know, the it's the Mark II lineup, so we don't need to go into. Uh, it, although interestingly, they do on the album itself, which is somewhere here. They kind of they list um, what is it? They list Richie Blackmore. They do one of those things where he said Fender Stratocaster, Marshall amplification, a Roland guitar synthesizer, which was interesting to know that he was using a guitar synthesizer gillen mm. vocals and harmonica vocals conga's harmonica roger glover bass guitar synthesizer pv steinberger vigier which is weird because they put synthesizer and then in parentheses they list a bunch of bass types so that must have been like an error um because mm. they list synthesizer in parentheses pv steinberger vigier yamaha these are all um, unless they're just including that with the bass on the synthesizer. I don't know. It's kind of clunky. Maybe. John Lord, Hammond B3, and Mini Moog, uh, and then a few other um, synthesizers. And then, of course, Ian Pace. He uses paste symbols and all that sort of stuff. So, um, so yeah, this was, sounds like the uh, the really blown out, like, you know, uh, version of like, yeah, let's just, oh, like, yeah. what was it on uh, what, what Glenn Hughes did on Play Me <laughs> yeah. Out? He plays like, Les Paul listen. guitar, Fender Rhodes keyboard, this synthesizer, piano, uh, like acoustic guitar, 12 string guitar. <laughs> it's, it's like, all right, you're impressive. Calm down. It's like, I remember doing that. Like when I was like 17 recording something, I would like write out like all the things that I played. And then I was like, by the time I was 19, I was like, this is stupid. Like guitar that covers guitar. Yeah. The end. If there's a guitar you're hearing, it was me. Like you don't need to really get into it. 
Um, so on the technical end, we've got um, produced again by Roger Glover. Production manager is Raymond D'Addario. He come, kind of pops up a lot in these books. He had worked with um, Elf and Rainbow before. Nick Blagono, who we've talked about before, sadly he passed away last year uh, in 2020. Uh, he worked a lot with uh, with Deep Purple. He worked with Cat Stevens, Nazareth, Crack the Sky, which is interesting because it's a Canadian band that I actually really got into when I was a teenager for some strange reason. Um, it was recorded by... So Guy Charbonneau was the guy who ran the mobile unit. Um, the tour manager, obviously Colin Hart, he's he's uh, credited in the in the uh, liner notes as well. It was mastered at Sterling Sound in New York by Greg Calby, mixed by Harry Schnitzler Schnitzler in Union Studios in Munich, West Germany. So it's interesting. They record this in Vermont. It's shipped over to West Germany to be mixed. Well, actually, goes to Connecticut first to be finished, then goes to West Germany to get mixed, then comes back to New York to get mastered. So, like, there must have been a lot of anxiety around that time. Like, what if, what if, like, we lose these tapes, or right, or, or like Mo Foster talked about with the like, magnet salesman, <laughs> the guy puts his briefcase up right next to his, and it's he's, he's got magnet samples in there. Um, and then uh, the crew, they thank crew, they thank Charlie Lewis, Cookie Crawford, uh, John Murphy, and. They credit Dawk Sound, D-A-W-K Sound. Um, it's only they've only got three credits on IMDb, and they're all uh, Deep Purple credits. So I don't know. Dawk Sound doesn't seem like a person's name, but they're cl- credited mm-hmm. on House of Blue Light. Nobody's perfect in Slaves and Masters. So mm-hmm. if you know what the heck that means, let us know. I didn't do any googling beyond that, so it's anybody's guess. Okay, <clears throat> and you know what's next, my friend. It is. Time to take a look at the album art. And let me just, of course, it doesn't accept the first screen share, so I have to do it again. It's very strange. Strange new development in our show's back end. But here we go. We've got the House of Blue Light album cover. John, what do you think of this album cover? I think it's pretty cool. Um... I mean, I like how um, they um, how they kind of used the the new Perfect Strangers logo, but it's like small. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Deep purple logo. <laughs> I never it never really clicked with me, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, if you it's look like, at the, it's small and it's not three D. It's like a two D version right. of it. And if you look at the way that the Deep Purple you know logo is, <clears throat> it kind of looks like like what I, I think they've used like you know, uh, re- different versions of that, like in their later albums with like Steve Morris, right? Um, Yeah, possibly. I mean, well, the <clears> similar <throat> one, they've gone through so many logos. We could probably do a whole episode on like the, they've had like 21 albums and probably 18 logos. <laughs> yeah. They have, they don't have like a logo. They don't have one. Like they have like a couple that, that they like, you know, some, some of the, the higher up ones, like the, the, the one that we emulate for the show, that font. And then the, the deep, the perfect strangers one. Um, and then the more like seven, sixties Mark one font, but yeah, there, there's so many different versions. Yeah. But, um, in, in terms of the album itself, it's like, um, I mean, I've looked at, obviously seen it a lot and, um, you know, I've thought everything from, it looks really cool because you have like this really cool looking door with like the blue fog coming out, which is, uh, which is kind of a neat thing to thinking that, well, the House of Blue Light is like kind of like a lazy ripoff of like, you know, one of the first lyrics from Speed King. So they're just right. kind of like reusing, you know, a term to, 
like it looks like a cool album, but the more you look at it, it's like it just kind of looks like this cheap photograph of like, you know, something that they staged. Um, you know what I mean? Um, yep. Or it looks like a door like to a like a haunted house. And um, like there's many different things that it looks like. So overall, I think it's kind of a cool album cover, but I've thought about it a lot in like different ways. And like those are kind of the different kind of like at different times, things that I've thought about it, mm-hmm. you know, almost like like you had like perfect strangers was just like, I don't know. It could mean so many things, you know, it's just like, um, you know, when it was like, uh, you know, kind of original and everything. And then house of blue light is, it's just like, Oh, okay. So like they couldn't think of anything else. So they just took a lyric from speed King. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, or, and that's pretty much is it. <laughs> it's, it's not, <laughs> you're, you're, like, yeah, you're not exactly. oversimplifying it. That is exactly what they did. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, um, but, um, overall the cover itself, I think is, um, you know, it, it's, um, it's visually, uh, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not I one th- of my favorites, but you know, I, I always loved the, the, the house of blue light. I thought was a really cool title. And I think when I first heard of this, I didn't really even make the speed King connection. Um, but you know, just, just hearing about it. Yeah. I, I wonder what it would have been like if, you know, this is whatever, 17 years after in rock came out to just say like, Oh wow. The next album is called the house of blue light. They're probably returning to, you know, like they always say with every album that every band releases. Now they're returning to their roots. They're returning to the beginning. What brought them all together. They're, they're using even a line from that. So it's at, at both times, like you said, yeah, it's kind of interpretation. It's kind yeah. of a cheesy cop out, but also kind of cool, a call, a cool callback as well. Um, sure. Yeah, but I, I didn't was, think of that one. Yeah, I always thought it was a really cool album cover with that just that that foggy blue light coming out of the door. But again, it's like super literal. House of blue light. Boom! I have a door and some blue lights shining out of it. Next, <laughs> uh, but it's well done. It's, it looks really great. You've got you know this this Boom, blue light next. just slightly open the door rather just slightly open the blue light coming in, and then there's like some garbage and a rat on the ground <laughs> just kind of scurrying <laughs> scurrying by. Uh, so it makes you wonder like what kind of mystical craziness is going on in that. Um, some interesting things about the album cover. So if you zoom in here, uh, let me do that. Um, you see the, the door has these five symbols on it and Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, I never really knew what the the point of the symbols was. Um, and then it's just kind of, I've seen some discussions with people about what is it? What does it mean? The first kind of most obvious thing that kind of jumped out at me is there's a symbol for each member of the band, kind of like Led Zeppelin for, uh, mm-hmm. and maybe they were trying to do that. I don't know if it was intentional. Um, but if you look at it, there's, there's some real, um, a, a case could be made for each of those symbols representing one of the members of the band. Um, uh, but before we get into that, uh, it's interesting to note uh, the album, this album art was designed or the photography for the album, I should say, was was by uh, Dee Dee Zill, whose book you can see behind me, that Deep Purple uh, photography book. Um, so Dee Dee Zill had been photographing them and other bands for years and years, um, a legendary photographer. The design and the art direction for this book was by uh, for this album cover was by Andrew Ellis, who is currently at Hypnosis, which we had talked about, had done. Uh, they did difficult to cure, which was basically repurposing what they had done for um, "Never Say Die" by Black Sabbath. So there was a, he would he had branched off from them in 1982, 
and started his own company and he did album covers for you know ufo pink floyd alan parsons so he was come from coming from that school the also other um uh davies and star was a husband and wife duo uh who who did design and art direction and they did design and art direction for this and they'd worked with like david gilmore david bowie tears for fears and done some stuff like that so uh it's, this album has a good pedigree it's a super pro looking album cover and that's where it comes from um, you know what i just noticed when you zoomed in a little bit which i thought was really funny was the the door has these symbols on it, which I kind of noticed a little bit from oh, the back. Yeah. I don't think that I ever, you know, noticed the, um, you know, because I had the cassette. I don't ever think I had the vinyl. So I never really kind of zoned in on that. But what I noticed now was, is that the the doorknob is just a regular doorknob. You know what I mean? Like you think that like a door like this, they go with like some well, kind of like gothic turn of the century doorknob or some, oh, you know, thought, door I handle. You were gonna, or, I thought you were going to say something else because when I zoomed in, when you talked about the doorknob, I noticed something else about the doorknob. What? Let me zoom in a little more. What the knob? The knob itself? Yeah, look at the knob. Oh, it's got the it's got the deep purple logo on. Yeah, it. <laughs> I never noticed that before. Because I mean, you're right, normally well, looking at the album like this, and it's so it's so tiny. Um, okay, well, that just no, kind looking, of ruins what I was going to say about it. I thought, you know, I thought they'd have this kind of I'm, like gothic door handle, and instead, it looks like they just picked up something from Home Depot and was just like, yeah, put it in. So here I am. But, um, uh, here I am, like an old man, lifting my glasses up and trying to look at my <laughs> CD. And even on the CD, I can barely tell. So, like, maybe if right. I had had the vinyl of this, I would I would have noticed it more. But on the, the size of a CD, I can't even tell that it, it has that. But yeah, but now that you zoomed in, it makes more sense with the the DP logo above Deep Purple. There is is like the same on the doorknob. Yep. So. Hmm. So I was going to make fun of it, but now it just kind of fell flat because now it makes sense because it looks <laughs> yeah, exactly. just like a, well, because it looks like this ancient door, but a modern doorknob, but there's yeah. a reason for it. This is because it has that, you know, they ties in that round. Like, yeah. You'd think it would have like the like, big, like, Strangers um, logo. like doorknob, like all ornate, like, like wrought iron and you'd, you know, yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. But there's a reason for it. It'd be so great if there was like a little electronic good. keypad on this door. <laughs> <laughs> Like to unlock like it. Like House, House of Blue Light 2021, you know. <laughs> the 2021 remix. It's all Blade Runner <laughs> just looking. A key, just a keypad. <laughs> um, Richie, give us the code. This no. A, put a, like a Nest doorbell there. <laughs> 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 Somebody tried oh. to break into the House of Blue Light. Um, so, Ain't happening. Uh, so, so some theories. That I think there's some that seem that they could be kind of obvious here for what symbols represent who. Um, the first one that kind of jumped out at me is I thought, I, for, I always thought that this, the second one down was a broom, like a witch's broom, because it kind of kept with the kind of theme. But looking at it um, more recently, more critically, I think what if it was a rocket and it stood for Garth Rocket? Okay. Because I, I couldn't find a, a, a way that the, like a broom would make any sense. So I did, I did, I did, I, I, I did some searching and found some like old forums and some Facebook groups where people were kind of debating about this, um, about this because I was trying to do some research for what the heck does this mean? So I found some, some people with some really good insights into what, what, what this might be. I always just kind of thought, oh, it's probably a Led Zeppelin thing and ne but never really made the connection. So that's that one I'm going to go with. I think that that's Gillen, um, the thing at the top is like 
Um, I heard it. I heard people say it was a cat. I heard people say it was a demon, and I heard people say it was an owl. And I also saw people saying it was a cat demon or a cat owl or a demon owl, <laughs> any sort of combination of those three things. Um, that the only connection that I I didn't see a lot. I saw some people say they think that that's Richie. I don't know why. The only connection I could think is like owls and moons and Rich, Richie's obsessed with the moon and has a song about the moon on every album that he's done since he left Deep Purple. So maybe um, maybe that's the connection, but I, I, that's kind of tenuous as far as I'm concerned. The arrows, as postulated, could be for um, the archer or Sagittarius, which Roger is a Sagittarius. So that could stand for... Mm-hmm. Um, him. This, but on the same token, there's also a song called the Spanish Archer on the on the album. So then my mind starts thinking, what if these symbols are supposed to represent things from songs? Although I can't really. I maybe when we're listening, will something will jump out at us. I can't th- see any other obvious connections with any of the other things on there. Uh, but maybe if we look at the lyrics more closely, we can come to that. Then uh, the third one, uh, the fourth one down is the 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 theater masks which could mean John Lord because he comes from a theater background. He's an actor. Um, Mm. And then below. So I'm of two minds of the last one that the two arms crossed. It it could stand for Ian Pace because he's, you know, drumming. Uh, But, but on the inside of slaves and masters, which I don't have Richie Blackmore is inexplicably in his photo, just going like this with his two arms, exactly like that. So maybe that stands for Richie, but then I don't know how the owl would stand for Ian Pace. Oh, maybe Ian Pace has good eyesight because he wears glasses and the owl has good eyesight. Maybe that's Mm. it. So the top and the bottom, I think the top and the bottom, if they are indeed representative of the band, uh, would be uh, things that it would be interesting to hear what our listeners have to say about them. Um, Well, they definitely did not make it obvious. No, no, which is cool. And that's a really cool thing about an album, too. Like you look at an album like like Sgt. Pepper, like how much of the, the lore of that album is just being able to look at that album cover and stare at it for hours. Who's, you know, back in the day when you're not Googling who these people are, I'm sure people just got together. And, who, oh, this person is that. And that, per- oh, who's this person? Oh, it's that actor. And you could spend an hour. You, you could spend more time than it takes to listen to the album, just looking at that album cover and talking about it. And that, that's mm-hmm. kind of cool is to leave some of that mystery there. So maybe that is what it is indeed. I don't know. But if you have any ideas or any insight into this or or actually know what the answers are, please let us know because it's pretty interesting. Um, then if you so if you look at the fold out of the CD here, this is the the uh, thing that we just looked at. But interestingly, if you look at the top of the door on this version, it looks different. Hmm. So here's the one we just looked at with the owl on the top. Now, if you go to this one, look at the top panel. It looks like a, I don't know what it looks like. I always thought this looked like a monkey, like swinging from, you know what I mean? Like swinging on a vine. But I've heard people say that that's also an owl that was like flapping its wings and flying away from you. Mm -hmm. But that what I saw was people saying it didn't seem obvious what it was. So they did a second version of it. I don't know. And I, and I must admit looking into this i i might be getting a lot of this wrong because there's so much there's so many different versions of this album between the song lengths and the and the and the 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 liners notes and the vinyl version versus the cassette version versus the cd version so i think this is the first one that got released and then when they did it again they 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 changed that owl up but the the cd copy i have has that owl that we saw in the first one 
And then this one has like like we talked about before, which I never realized until looking at it, but it's got those pictures of them kind of like po- pasted on, onto this like ornate looking window. And then in the background blurred out, you see the what you see on the back of the album, which is this kind of like weird, funky, almost looks like nobody's perfect sort of thing. This weird, mm-hmm. um, you can postulate what you think that red thing is. Looks, looks, uh, looks obscene to me. Um, but it could be like, it could be like, it looks like maybe like a melted crayon or something. I don't know. Mm. Um, thought I was going to sneeze. I just bashed. I just bashed my head on the microphone. I'm glad I used the. I'm glad I used the cough switch because that would have been. You probably just heard silence, but that would have been a shocking development if you if I'd smashed my head into the microphone. So yeah, so that's the 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 flip side. It's not the back cover of the album, but it's the flip side of the booklet when you open it up. And then here's a here's a copy of that that original album cover with the different owl on it. And uh, if you know which country at which and what the timeline is for this, please let us know because this is uh, confusing stuff. In the back of the CD, uh, my my back of my CD. So there, this was released in 1987. Um, the CD version had longer versions of many of the songs. The cassette version and the and the record had shorter versions. So I thought um, my CD just says copyright 1987. So I thought I had that 19. 19- uh, 87 release, but I don't, I, I don't know if I had it and I lost it or I got a new one or, or what, but this one seems to have those shorter song versions, even though it says 1987. So I don't know what's going on with any of that, but this, this I think is the original CD back, which is again, in that same deep purple logo, almost kind of like they're changing the font with every word or changing it with every letter in some cases has the track listing. Then this is the similar to the back that I have, which kind of mashes up mm-hmm. the, uh, or, or this is the inside of the CD that I have when you open it up. It's got the yeah, pic- that's the one that I remember. Yeah, the pictures of the the five of them, and then they did this strange background that's got, um, you know, it, it has like Call of the Wild with the with the moon there oh call of the wild maybe that could be the owl who knows but call of the wild with like a moon and then hard loving well hard loving woman i guess makes sense with that red object Mm. now that we look at it and look at it more critically it's a little uh um and then it says oddly it says mitzi dupree next to the arrow not not next to the spanish archer so maybe it's just a mess who knows um dead or alive next to that little skull thing looks like a cane with a little skull top um, and then there's the LP version, which is a little more cleaned up and the inside there. So that's kind of the, uh, rundown of the album here. And we'll see some different, uh, different song lengths when we get into it. And we can talk about that. All right. So we got a, my computer froze here. Um, so I got to look up the. Next a thing. weird picture of Ian Gillen in there. It doesn't even look like him. Like in all those pictures. Yeah. Like it looks like a glammed out Ian Gillen, which is, you know, because he was never like none of these guys were ever glam like through the 80s. No, no. You know, so it's like it looks like I don't know. I think it was just the, the quality of the photo or the angle or maybe his haircut. He looked like, you know. He just he looks like somebody else. That's the thing I really always loved about 
deep purple. I mean, Richie Blackmore always tried to have like this very distinct style about him and stuff. And they did some, there was like that one photo shoot. I think they did with Joe Lynn Turner where they're all wearing leather and it just looks weird. Cause it's like, you guys aren't a leather kind of band. Um, but for the most part, they all just, yeah, they, they wore some styles of the times, but they, Ian Gillen, especially you've got all these guys wearing either wigs or having their long stringy gray hair. And Ian Gillen's like, I'm gray. I'm got short hair. I don't care. He's grown it out now just because of, the pandemic he's just <laughs> he's all shaggy again you know he wears his silly shirt with a pineapple on it or he wears that floral print vest like he doesn't i love that that like you know there's other rockers out there that try to oh we're so hard and core and we do whatever we want and it's like no no ian gillen is the ultimate example of doing whatever the hell he wants he'll wear a button-up floral print shirt he'll wear a vest with no shirt underneath it he'll wear a silly pineapple mm-hmm. shirt and do his granddad dance like he doesn't he doesn't try to conform to whatever the times are, which is really cool. Yeah. There are some people that are still like really committed to the look and, Oh yeah. And they have to, they can't go out in public. I'm Ian Gillen. He just, he'd wake up, put on his pineapple shirt and go to the store. He doesn't care. People see Ian Gillen in like the, you know, in the wild looking like a normal human being. He doesn't care about any of that. So I'd be like, yeah, I'm wearing this on stage later. <laughs> Except it's my favorite pineapple shirt. What do you want me to do? I was very pleased that he was wearing the pineapple shirt when I went to see him. (laughs) It seemed like like a win for me. Um, So before we get into the tracks, we have to do one thing, and that is, of course, to thank our core level patrons coming in at the seven dollar seventy seven seer seven. I can't say this seven dollar and seventy seven cent. Keep it warm. Rat tier. Michael Vader at the seven dollar. No one came tier. Richard Fusey at the. Episode $6.66 tier, we have Steve Coldwell, Arthur Smith, and Anton Glaving. At the $6.65 almost evil tier, Kenny Wymore. At the $5.99 nice price tier, we have Fielding Fowler, Dr. Jill Brees. And at the $5 money lender tier, we got to take a deep breath. We've got Greg Sealby, John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Alman, Alexi the Perfect Stranger Slepikoff, James North, Mark Hodgetts, Kev Roberts, Will Porter, Zwopper the Electric Alchemist, and Tim Southern Cross Johnson. Thank you to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. We really appreciate it. Woo! So that's that's got to be one of the bigger setups we've ever had, huh? Now we have to get into some of the songs. Yeah, right. Uh, we were there was some debate over whether this would be a two parter. I think we made the right choice. Yeah, I feel like uh, we did because I'm like I can't do two sides. No, not not now, not after that. But I, I think there was definitely. Uh, I, I was thinking, thinking, ah, how much could there be? to talk about with the house of blue light apparently a lot i mean some of it was about lobster but <laughs> a lot of it was about the album <laughs> um yeah so so as i talk so one of the cool things about this album as we get into the songs is there's a great app, uh review in kerrang which i'll put uh, i'm not not review interview with ian gillen and kerrang from 1986 or 80 early 87 um and in it he gillen does like a rundown of every song in the album so i figured after every song we could play Gil, uh, read Gillen's quote, little short little quotes about what he thinks of that song and everything. So I thought that that's really um, nice. that would be really cool. And, and we don't have a lot of that. Like it's it's cool whenever you can just have an artist talk about each one of their songs and and hear about it. So we'll have some stuff from Gillen and some stuff from the other guys too. But um, uh, and additionally, so I'll, well, starting off, the first track is called "Bad Attitude," and the. We'll be playing all the original CD versions, which are the longer versions, not by a ton, but this song is 32 seconds longer than the one that was on the cassette in the original LP. 
Um, so we're going to listen to that one and then uh, give our reviews and hear what Gillen had to say about it. So here we go. Track opener, Bad Attitude. <laughs> Sorry. I love it. Seems to open up with the the feel of the album cover. Yeah, the, the, kind of a creepy, and also kind of the perfect strangers just op- organ opening. Like they well, it worked last time. Let's do it again. I need a little more volume. All right. Yeah. So far, a really cool opener. So you start to hear a little of the 80s production creeping in, but it's it's not as much as you'd expect given what other bands are doing at the time. Like you're not having that big concert like snare sound, a concert reverb snare, which is good because I can't stand that. But the drums still yeah. don't sound quite as punchy as I would like. Yeah, I was thinking that. Like that bass drum isn't hitting you right in the chest. It's a little bit softer. I mean, Gillen sounds really good. I mean, um, you could definitely like tell Richie is on guitar. Yep. Like when when he comes in and you, you know, hear him do certain parts, you're like, yeah, that's Richie. Like, they're still staying pretty true to their sound. He's double-tracking his vocals there. I mean, classic Richie solo. And then like the unexpected change after the solo that they love to do. I wonder if this is that guitar synthesizer they were talking about. Yeah, it has. It has something else going on it that the first half of the solo doesn't have. He just like goes yeah, into one of those like little... Arabic scales out of nowhere. <laughs> Love it. But yeah, it does have this kind of cool like double, like two tone like you know sound on it. Little bass slide up by Roger. I like how I really like how they start that verse with the solo vocal and then kind of come in the second half with the the, the backing 
vocal, it really breaks it up rather than just doing the same thing through the whole verse. Yeah. That's really cool. Sounds almost like uh, that Led Zeppelin. Was it all of your love kind of sound to the synth? I don't know what kind of synth that is, but. here that was a GX1 and looking up in here John Lord used a DX1 so maybe they're related I don't know what they would have cut out uh, like what the 30 seconds are they would have cut out on that um, we're not going to do a side by side for a change that small but it'd be interesting to see what the what they cut out was it the guitar solo was it one of the verses I mean who knows maybe a shorter fade yeah oh yeah we fade earlier yeah who knows but that's um that's bad attitude that's the opener um for the album and then what do you think should we should we rate the song first before we get into Gillen's uh quotes or should we do or should we just should we do Gillen's quotes first, right up front. Um, I think we could. I think we could rate them. I don't want Gillen's quote to, to interfere with you. Yeah. I've read. Yeah, I've to, read some of them. So, uh, but they, I won't let Ian uh, change my mind on any of these songs. <laughs> All right. Well. All right. Bad attitude. What do you think? Um, I'm like, you know what? I was going a little back and forth on it. I'm going to give it a four. Okay. And I'll I'll tell you why. Okay. Um, I like um, I think it's a good song. Um, I think it's a great opener, and it's like um, you know you can definitely tell those '80s production qualities, but yeah. they're the most noticeable in Ian Pace's drums. Because when you made that comment, I was actually thinking at the same time. It's like this is the same guy that played Fireball, The Mule, Burn, mm-hmm. and he kind of sounds like a drum machine a little bit in this. Yeah. Like during the verses, you know, it's like, it's very like, um, and I mean, that could just be what the song needed too, not a crazy drum beat or anything, but even the production, it just sounded very tame. Like you said, not as punchy. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, you know, could that have like, you know, brought the song up a little bit? Maybe. Um, But um, that's one of the things I think kind of takes away from it a little bit. But I mean, in terms of like, I think Gillen's vocals are great. I think it's one of those songs where you can tell he was really into it. Like when you listen to him, like mm-hmm. singing, like you can tell that he's putting like, you know, some passion behind the the lyrics. He's not just like, ah, bad attitude. You know, he's not just like, <laughs> all right, I got to like, I mean, whatever was happening during these sessions, he really brought it for this song. Cause you can tell, like, he's one of those vocalists. You can tell when he's phoning it in yeah, and you can tell when he's really into it. And, um, you know, whatever Richie was doing with the solos, like classic Richie solos, and then kind of something a little bit different, but not over the top. You know, it's like, he didn't go like Judas priest turbo with the guitar <laughs> sense, you know, <laughs> Um, on it, you know, so it sounded like Richie, but there was a little something different in that second solo. And you're like, I don't know what it is, but it's not too obvious. And, um, uh, you know, Roger had some great, a couple of moments in there, a couple of bass slides that we noticed. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, um, um, and then of course, you know, John Lord, uh, was like hanging back, but he wasn't as 
far hanging back as he was in the white snake days. Like he was able to get some, you know, cool stuff in there. I mean, he had the intro, he had the outro. I mean, um, so I think all in all, it's like a, I've always liked it. I, and I thought it was just like a cool song anyways, like um, just, you know, catchy and, you know, so, yeah. So like I said, the only thing that takes away from me and like maybe a, even a 4.5 was, is just kind of how tame, like, you know, Pace's drums were in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, agree with everything you said 100%. I also give this a 4. I I think it, it I think it loses a half a point. I think it could easily be a 4.5 from the overall production. Just sounds a little bit Yeah, it just doesn't sound quite as in your face. I don't know if maybe it's the volume level that we're listening to it, but it just doesn't it doesn't sound as punchy as as it could. Um and you just expect from like you said, if you replace Pace's drums with a drum machine on this, I don't even know that you'd really notice because he's not doing anything. He's also sounds like he's holding back on top of it. So um, mm. would love to hear it with a little bit more fire. But Gillen, Gillen's vocals are great. But I also think this is maybe the album where we're starting to see the very, very earliest signs of his voice starting to decay a little bit where he, you know, he's doing some great vocals on this. But I think it's maybe just. I don't know that what it, what it is about it. It just sounds like maybe he's starting to lose it a little bit. Hmm. I mean, I I personally didn't hear it. No, I mean, just a little bit. I mean, still, like I said, he sounds great, but um, and I'm talking like the earliest possible signs. But anyway, that's just me. Um. Okay. Oh yeah, forgot to almost went to the next song. Forgot we've got Gillen's these. Quote. I played up these quotes here. Um, so Gillen says about this. He says, "I was pissed off for a change," and then he laughs. Um, uh, uh, no, it's a thing everyone says in America, and I hate posy expressions. Um, I don't know what that means. Uh, I wish people would talk properly. When we reformed a few years ago, Richie and I were playing football and had a row on the pitch, which ended with me telling him to piss off. So he turned around and said, there's no need to cop an attitude. And I said, what do you mean cop an attitude? Can't you speak English? Uh, so this is kind of like an American expression that, uh, so Gillen just thought it was stupid that, you know, it'd be like if your friend moved to the South for like a few years and then you visit them and they were like, howdy y'all. And you'd be like, what the hell is this? This isn't, you know, so, so I think it's kind of that sort of thing. So yeah. he said, anyway, that theme just kind of developed and the song attacks that kind of, kind of thing. It has no hidden meaning or anything. It's just a groove. So there you go. That's Ian's take on that song. And that brings us into the next track, which is the unwritten law. I always liked that intro because it was like kind of like a play on what they would do live with, you know, Ian following uh, Richie's guitar with his vocals. And it's also so quiet what his vocals are doing in the back. You almost miss it. He's like, it just really blends in. This this song always struck me as kind of a like they opened the first track with a perfect strangers kind of style. This one sounds like it's knocking at your back door kind of. That those little synth strings that they're doing, like trying to capture on some of those themes again. And this song is 20 seconds longer on this version. So there you go. I like how it breaks out into the chorus like that. And then you got that um, that sequencer going along in the background the whole time. Oh yeah, huh? 
you know, you know, just kind of having that constant like noise going in the background. It credits Ian Pace as using Vince Gutman's Mark system. I don't know what that is, okay. but maybe that's what we're hearing. <laughs> See, now he's doing something a little more interesting on the drums here, but again, still doesn't sound as... Is that the synthesizer again? I can't tell. I think his guitar is just mixed in a lot with the rest of the music. Yeah, it was very, like, held back. Pretty good though. It's it sounds it, his vocals sound very. I mean, it's Gillen, so he always sounds like Gillen. But he said it sounds like it reminds me of like a, a Gillen song as far as like uh, you know what his I was delivery. thinking. That, yeah, but yeah, I was thinking the same thing at the beginning. It sounds like a stupid thing to say because he's Ian Gillen, so of course he sounds like Ian Gillen. But no, but a Gillen band. I know yep. what you mean. Because something that he did at the beginning reminded me of something from the Gellin band. They throw that little extra chorus in here. Maybe that's what the 20 seconds removed are. He's he's hitting those toms and everything, but it just doesn't sound like it doesn't sound upfront enough in relation to the rest of the music. This is probably what they cut out. If I had to be honest, if they were looking to fill it, they're, they're so the very light percussive work by John Lord there, but it's mostly just Ian Pace. Every so often you hear just like a little rip from the from the organ. Yeah, he holds the. Notes. I always thought that was a cool ending too. I, I, be, that. I bet that's what the, I bet they just cut that whole ending out. They're like, ah, stupid drum thing, cut it out. But, it, <laughs> but it's really cool though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I, I the only problem I have with it is I just feel like if that the drums are taking over and taking the complete forefront, it should be in your face, and it still sounds like a little distant. Yeah, yeah, that's um. That's a, that's a really weird thing about the the drums so far on this, you know, is is like I mean we we all know what Ian Pace can do and I mean he's very um he was far 
far away from being, I, I would say, past his prime. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, I don't know. I just feel like it might have been the producer or the production or whatever, because something like that, if you heard that, like, even 10 years prior, mm-hmm. like, if he did that on, like, uh, you know, um, um, Come Taste the Band or, like, you know, because that, that would be around that same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would have been like, Oh my God. Cause I mean, you've seen him do drum solos. You've heard, we've heard the the isolated tracks. We've sure. heard him on other, you know, and I mean, it's just like, I feel like he could do so much more than that. Like, because that whole percussive thing, I mean, I don't know if it called for him being restrained, but it almost sounded restrained. It almost sounded too, like they were like overdubbing, like they were doubling the drums to kind of give it that tribal feeling. And I just feel like if that was the case, you don't need to do that with Ian Pace. You know, well, yeah, well, I think I think I have the answer for you for for what that is when we talk about um, the, the sequencing right. in the background. So I did <laughs> while we were doing this, I did a um, a search of Vince Gutman's Mark system. And okay. the first result that comes up is a thread from the Deep Purple fan forum from 2013. And the title of the thread is the most stupid decisions in Deep Purple history. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Al Erickson writes uh, Vince Gutman's Mark system. He says, I quote, and I guess this is a quote from from Ian Pace. This box turned an analog signal into trigger pulses, which required to run the Simmons. I used it to twist up live drum sounds and yeah. the sounds from the Lin. I don't know what the Lin means. Um, so I think he's some of what he's doing is tr- is triggering electronic sounds, yeah. which is mm-hmm. at that time all the rage. Like everyone thought that exactly. was great. So it could you be know. some of why we're, we're hearing it the way it is. Um, but I think it would, what? would have it's... also given him the, they, they, for the first time you ever, probably the first time you ever see on a, on a deep purple, uh, album, it credits, um, John Lord is using the CP 70 and then in parentheses MIDI. So this is probably MIDI was at its very, well, I don't know if it was very infancy, but it was pretty new to be being used at that time. And they probably, this was probably maybe charting some of his drum stuff into MIDI as well. So that could have been what they were doing. Well, I mean, I, I, I find that easy to believe because like you're in the mid eighties right now and like everybody was using like this, this new technology, like, you know, even musicians that you feel like didn't need to use it. And I mean, I get that because I mean, it's sure. like, remember when we would like get new amps or pedals or process or whatever, like we <laughs> you would, just like, overuse you know, it. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I would go crazy with like an effect that I thought was great. And it would just be like, all right, enough Jesus. But I mean, it's <laughs> now, like every song on this album has flange on it. Cause I just got a flange pedal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Gets right? old pretty so it's quick. Just like I talk about like, you know, the whole sound of like, you know, uh, Judas Priest Turbo, right? Like using the guitar sense. Mm-hmm. Um, like the the electronic drums, right? Eric Carr used them like in the, the 80s Kiss albums on the albums and in concert, you know, mm-hmm. to, to trigger like samples and noises like Tommy Lee, the Simmons drums on like Theater of Pain. You know, it's like, um, you know, those were some things that I just remember reading and hearing about. And it's like, um, you know, you could be a really like, you know, just raw talent musician, but it's like, you know, when all this like cool new technology is coming out, especially if you're a band like from like the seventies or even early eighties, I mean, you're not, not going to use it, especially like when everybody else is and you think like, wow, this is really cool. And like, I've never used this, but because that's what musicians do is they experiment, you know, not only with their songwriting, but their sounds. So Mm -hmm. I guess that I can get it. Um, but I mean, you know, when, uh, you know, in hindsight, does it contribute to, you know, making the song better? Mm, 
I don't think so. I mean, I think maybe it would have been cool for a live drum solo or something, but, you know, could have Ian Pace have like, you know, just done like something, you know, really cool on the drums with, you know, John Lord doing some percussive stuff in the background. Yeah. And it would have sounded better um, yep. for the outro, but you know. Um, so how do you, um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying. How would you, uh, how would you rank the unwritten law? That being said, I'm going to give it a four because I think it's another great song. I think it's uh, it's really cool. Um, I think that um, I, I always like the, the 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 sequence or the background and like that kind of like you know like you said that almost like kind of um, what is a perfect stranger sounding like you know da 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 you know it's <laughs> kind of this kind of dark almost verse and then it kicks into this like you know kind of like a, you know they they speed up the tempo a little bit chorus which I think is really. Um, you know, I always like that. And um, I think that Gillen is uh, bringing it again with his vocals. I think it's mm-hmm. another song where he was into it. Um, and um, yeah, like I said, I think that, um, you know, uh, Pace's drums are just, um, you know, kind of, uh, he's not, he's not really breaking any ground here. He's just kind of like keeping time. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and Richie's solo was kind of, uh, it was, it was good. It was melodic. And I think they were trying something else. It was kind of like really buried in the mix, you know, um, but, you know, overall, like, I mean, the song itself is like a, a pleasant uh, listen, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I've, I've rocked out to it before. So, yeah, um, I will give this one a three point five. I like the verse. I like that outro part. Um, I just I don't like the chorus. I don't know what it is about it. It just doesn't. Oh. Yeah, I, I don't, there's something about it just. It always seemed to me, and I think the, probably the first time I ever heard they did this on, um, they did this on Nobody's Perfect, right? I think this was on that. I don't remember. Me neither. Um, but I, so it was either that was the first time I've I've heard it, or it was on this album. But there was something about the the chorus that always struck me as just, I don't know, it never it didn't seem it seemed like it fit, and I don't I don't know what, um, what it is, but it's something about it just never grabbed me. And it looks like no, they didn't do this on uh nobody's perfect. So I this must be what I'm what I'm remembering. But yeah, see I I feel the exact opposite. I think yeah. that the chorus is, you know, I like the chorus. I think it, you know, it 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 it, it takes a cool turn. Yeah. I mean, it's a definitely it, it's a different turn. It just seems like it almost seems like it's the chorus from a different song. Like mm. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what it is about it that doesn't doesn't hit me, but it doesn't. There you go. Um, all right. So, like we talked about, this one's twenty seconds longer. I guarantee you, it's got to be that drum part that got kicked out, unless they kicked out some that second uh, repeated chorus or something. Um, so, Gillen says the unwritten law is next, and that's about the clap. I mean, there is a code. You know what I mean. <laughs> If you've got a dose, you don't go spreading it around. It's a general comment on how people should have a little more responsibility. We tried to think of other unwritten codes to include in the song, but I can't think of any at the moment. (laughs) I love he is unreal. There's really no subtext in that, too. It's like, so did this happen to you? (laughs) It's he didn't just all of a sudden get upset about this for no reason. <laughs> oh my god. He's, you know what I was thinking about much. hypothetically if this happened that would really be upsetting to me. I mean. So. 
So, and then uh. they asked them if this is a kind of a different song. The interviewer asks him um, if this is a different kind of song for Deep Purple. And he says, um, yeah, I nearly killed Richie when I heard the riff. It's the most difficult riff I've ever had to write for. I was going around for ages uh, going uh, diddled diddled behind his back. I don't know what that means. The singer laughs, mimicking the riff. Oh, so diddled diddled probably doing the riff. Um, still, it's a different vehicle, and that's one of the great things with this album. Without doubt, it's my favorite album since Fireball. Hmm. Okay. There you go. That's a, that's a bold, oh. bold statement. So. All right. Next track up is The Call of the Wild. Pretty straight ahead, kind of heavy riff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like a real classic Gillen opening line there, a hook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder if, if Pacey playing, is playing along to like a click or something, because... His planks on this is so... It doesn't f- seem like it has Sounds his same precision. feel. Yeah. Yeah. Too precision. This is probably the most 80s, like, poppy, deep purple song it's that a, I can think of. The chorus sounds like it could be on the Hughes Thrall album. Yeah. Yeah, now this is different for Deep Purple. This sounds like they're trying to be poppy. Yep. See, I like this part, and then when it kicks into the verse, it kind of gets a little too too poppy for me, I think. Yeah, those, those keyboards are so super 80s poppy. The song made it to the UK singles chart at number 92. And this one is one minute. They cut one minute out of the song for the cassette and LP release. Jeez. I mean, for the radio, it would kind of make sense. This is almost five minutes. Have it be three minutes and 48 seconds would make make sense. I also think that in this song, he says operator way too much. <laughs> so he said operator, something, something. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> even it in, is a catchy chorus, though. But even in 1987, were they were people talking to the operator that much? I, f- I feel like it was. Uh, been, I mean, you maybe. could be. I remember as a kid calling and talking to the op like you could get an operator or like some. I don't even. Did you press zero? I guess you just press zero and got the operator. Yeah, yeah I yeah. remember doing that. I don't know why I would have been doing it, but... Hey, operator! Have you heard Call of the Wild? Why the hell was I calling the operator as a kid? What did the operator do? I mean, I know I gave you phone numbers. I mean, you dial 411 to get somebody's number sometimes, but I don't know. Like, it's kind of a goofy little breakdown. 
<laughs> goofy. Well, it, it's funny because it's like it's like again, it's just a situation where it just doesn't seem upfront enough. Like if they were doing like this little exchange, but it was really like piercing, it, I think it would have more. But but they're just kind of like noodling, taking ch- turns noodling. And they did a um. I think they did a music video for this one. They did a couple of videos for this album. Maybe it's just the tel- the telephone imagery that's making me think of Hughes Thrall. <laughs> the black, Maybe, yeah. the black telephone and the white telephone, or whatever it was, the red telephone. Oh, did you hear there was like a little kind of 80s keyboard Mm. flourish that John Lord threw in? Yep. He's breaking out. He was breaking out a little uh, piano there at the end. That was nice. That like guitar solo by Richie at the very end sounds very like now more of that would have been nice yeah you know like in the middle or maybe like shorten the verses a little bit and have that as a longer outro because that was like i was like yeah all right ah they faded it out (laughs) (laughs) so hmm. oh well there you go it's the call of the wild what are you gonna do what do you what do you how do you rank this one so i i think this one's getting a 3.5 I want to say, though, it's like it's a strong 3.5 because it's like overall, I think the the song kind of meanders a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. but they're like maybe the one minute shorter version would be a little bit more palatable. Yeah, Yeah, probably. Yeah, because I think some of the verses, especially at the end, go on too long. But I I mean, uh, sorry, the choruses. But um, I like the I like the the intro and the verse. I think it's a really like it's a heavy riff and then it kind of kicks into the the verse and while i'm hearing the verse it's like uh it sounds kind of thin it sounds like it needs something and it's like i i really feel like it's the production you know mm-hmm. um and even the performance a little bit of of uh you know like uh gillen's delivery and everything it's like i i bet you if you got like a more of a raw version of this that it would you know mm-hmm. probably sound better but i mean oddly enough though i do i really do like the chorus because it is that kind of like big like 80s chorus like i think that if they if they kind of cut down on this a little bit or like, you know, maybe record a different version, it could have been like a hit because this is like the first instance of like, you know, poppy, like commercial eighties deep purple. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, I don't think I've ever heard purple do anything like this. Like commercial, I think is a good word. It sounded like they were trying to be commercial. We're out of touch. You know, it's like, it's really like sing songy and like, and I mean, it's cool. It's just, I think it's a little unfocused. Um, but I, I, I like it, you know, it's like, it's pleasant to listen to. Like I was looking forward to the chorus, you know, like mm-hmm. just popping my head being like, yeah, man, eighties. And then, <laughs> but then like, you know, at the end, it's like, all right, how many more times are they going to do this? <laughs> Yeah, like I said, it's I will also give it a three point five to me. It seems like it's it's trying it. 
I wish it would have picked a lane. Like, it could have gone full-on 80s pop song, and I've got nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to be like, oh, no, Deep Purple has to be super hard, hard rock. Or like, it's cool, and they, they try to do something different like that, and I think it would be awesome. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like they didn't go fully in that direction. But then, like I said earlier in the track, you've got John Lord and, and Richie sharing these little things, but if that had been, like, really punchy and in your face and harder, they could have gone in that direction. But they didn't fully commit to either one. It was just so it kind of, to me, yeah. made it a little bit bland overall. Yeah, that's another good word for it is, is like overall kind of a bland feeling. It, it reminds me of, like I said, Hughes Thrall. But Hughes Thrall were committed to that sound, so I think it worked better for them. It also reminds me of that Joe Satriani Squares release that he released a couple years back, which I thought was mm. awesome, and I'd love to do it on the show um, one day. But it's it it's another one where they fully committed to that sound and it, it's it sounds like that's what they were going for here it sounded like are we trying to make it poppy are we not and i mean obviously it worked because they charted with this one when they released it as a single so it got the the expected mm-hmm. results i think it could have just been and the the minute shorter version might have might have helped a little too so all right what does ian gillen have to say about this he says <laughs> yeah, that's a telephone call about this bird. Oh, it's a cheap pun, really, but it's an interesting lyric, and it has an interesting chorus. We thought it was too soft and sloppy at first. It nearly got rejected, strangely enough, but when it was finished, it seemed to have a nice edge to it. It sounds like some of the more accessible songs Purple have done in the past. There you yeah. So, I like how he refers to a women as birds he always he almost almost exclusively does oh yeah it was all in the live stuff oh yeah this is a song about this bird she was a strange, strange kind of woman she was a strange kind of bird so we wrote this song about oh <laughs> i love it it's just i love when it comes so naturally you know it's like the, the older like my my uncle would just like call women broads like it was just <laughs> my uncle you remember my uncle herb right like the old Italian guy, he's such. It was just ah, this broad, like like universally without question, and he didn't. I don't think he meant any offense by it. It's like obviously, yeah. it like sounds super like crass thinking about it now. But it was just so um, natural to him. And it's the same way with Ian. Like he's like, ah, oh, this bird I was talking to. Uh, I feel like that's a little soft. Like if I said, yeah, I was talking to this bird. It's like, yeah, I was talking to this broad the other day. <laughs> Like broad sounds way worse. It's so it's so weird. It's such a sign of it's like nobody says that now. Like it's but my my uh, uncle in his whatever how old he was at the time in his late seventies was oh. drop it at the drop of a hat. Oh, it is funny though. It makes me think of like it makes me you know the funniest use of that word though has to be when another woman uses it like on another woman. I remember I used to work with this girl and she had this friend that was really bothering her. And it's like, I said, Hey, um, like we were at work or something like that. And I said, Hey, it's your friend such and such on the phone. And you know, she was bothering us and she just rolled her eyes and she's like, Oh, this broad. And then she like grabbed the phone. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I've ever heard a, uh, a woman on woman use of the term broad (laughs) in the wild. That would be the true call of the wild. Oh, yeah, that's that's, those are probably my two favorites, like a woman using it on another woman and like a really old Italian guy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah. And if you and especially if you're super old or if you've got like a a, a cute enough accent, you can get away with saying almost anything. Um, But, you know, he was saying this like, I mean, he passed away 
about 10, 12 years ago or something. So, um, so for his, so he would have been like in his seventies in the early to mid nineties saying this. So there was yeah. a, you know, that buffer zone, if he was still around today, I don't know. I mean, I still around today. He'd be like, <laughs> he'd probably be almost 100 he'd be like I don't care I'm almost 100 I'll call anybody anything I want alright um, <laughs> yeah, at that, that point you should get a pass <laughs> yeah exactly um, okay so this track so uh, Lord got um, writing credits on this one uh, Pace hmm. got writing credits on the unwritten law and Lord got writing credits on bad attitude so interesting hmm. uh, Lord and Pacey coming through with some writing credits but I think almost everything else on the album uh, or I should say the majority of things on the album are just the Gillen Blackmore Glover uh, permutation. So there you go. That's the call of the wild. Uh, the next track up is a track called Mad Dog. Buford Mad Dog Tannen. <laughs> I think that's really cool because it kind of psychs you out. It you think it's going to be a slower pace, like you, you're when you're hearing Richie strum those chords, and then when Pacey comes in, he's coming in almost double time what you'd expect. It was a cool riff, and get ready for it. They cut seven seconds out of this one. Oh, <laughs> I don't know why you'd bother at that time. It sounds like more trouble than it's worth. This is another one that sounds like it could be like kind of the Gillen band style. You know what I think it is, is like, I think maybe in like, um, in the Gillen band, like Ian, like kind of like almost like growled his lyrics a little bit more mm -hmm. and he didn't do that as much in purple. Yep. I like those little no. <laughs> yeah, he's putting in a good performance on this. Yeah, like you said, he's not phoning it in. That was one of his bigger screams yet. Oh, there we go. John going a little uh, rat bat blue here. This sounds almost like a synclavier, but he's not credited as using it, so it must not be. Weird, weird solo. Yeah, really odd choice for this song. Like, the solo itself is... I mean, Lord often does those like kind of weird, quirky solos, but the, but the, the choice of the sound of that synth is just odd. It's like probably. It sounds like a, like a like a like a robot losing its mind. <laughs> oh, that's good. Right, here we go. 
Oh, I love that scream there. That's yeah. the first time he's done that in a while. I love that going out of that uh, that last verse. I mean, it's hard not to listen to these songs through the lens of what would they have sound like if they just made some different production choices. Because the songwriting's pretty good. Yeah. Like Gillen scream into a Blackmore solo. You can't beat that. Is he playing slide? It's hard to tell. I think he's partially sliding. So he probably has it on his pinky or something. He's sliding some notes. This is a really dirty tone on this. This yeah. is a good solo. This might have fit in a little better as the actual guitar solo in the middle of the song than John Lord's ins- insane <laughs> robot solo. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, geez. <laughs> it's a, I, I've never heard that before. That's the best way of describing it. Is that solo sounds like a robot losing its mind. <laughs> it does. It's uh, oh, and I mean, and, you know that we're fans of John Lord oh, doing like God, yeah. crazy shit. He's one you know, of my all time greatest musical heroes, and and I love I love the man. I love his music. I love everything. But it's just an odd choice. And and when you look when you listen to uh, Richie's solo and the tone of yeah. his solo. He's throwing in some things on this album that we maybe haven't heard before, but for the most part, he's got that similar tone. Gillen's doing right. the same things, a lot of the same things vocally that we're used to. Pace we've talked about is maybe a little bit more, you know, robotic than than normal. Um, yeah, uh, but 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 John Lord in this, as we start to enter this era starts using stuff that that that's an the interesting choice i mean obviously you want to experiment you want to try new things that's great but it's 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 weird that he he branched away so far from the that with using so many things i mean i guess he did he was using the moog stuff as it was coming out and he was doing the hammond stuff and as new stuff um released he he worked it into his sound i guess the thing is that those that 80s drum sound just did not hold up and those some of those 80s synth sounds mm-hmm. did not hold up and maybe if listening to this in 1987 it would be a different thing and i, I don't know I, I would love to dive more into what the science is behind that because you know you hear dated things from the 60s from the 70s 80s 90s everything the 80s for some reason a lot of the stuff they were doing musically just sounds or some of it just sounds flat out ridiculous and just comical and and well, and, and the I mean, production doesn't hold up the way that the production even a decade later would or a decade before. Well, I mean, I think some of it is what I was saying a couple of songs ago about, um, you know, just I think technology was finally in a place in, you know, the mid 80s that more people were experimenting with stuff. I mean, yeah, there was new technology coming out in like the. Uh, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, you know, all the time. But I think the 80s, it just hit a point, especially like electronic wise, where like, you know, there was like all this, you know, triggering drum samples and, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, the 
the heavy, the heavy use of flange, or even like, you know, a, a flange and stuff like that. Um, uh, um, or, you know, delay, like, you know, maybe even stuff that was, had been around for a while and people were using it in a different way. And mm-hmm. I think it was just like, you know, it, it almost, um, you know, kind of represents like how the, the eighties, you know, were, were seen as like that, you know, that decade of excess, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, you know, the, the bigger, the hair, the bigger, the makeup, you know, the bigger, the, you know, everything, you know, um, <laughs> the bigger, know, Mike, the, the level of reverb on the snare. Exactly. You know, Michael Douglas on wall street, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> remember that movie? It's just like that, that kind of represented the whole era. Like everything about the eighties was just yeah, like way excess. overblown and, you know, yeah. And I think, Greed that, you know, good. a lot of, and I, yeah, and I think a lot of musicians, you know, including these guys were just like, yeah, let's, you know, I mean, they lived through it, you know, they probably weren't even conscious of it, but they were probably excited about like, yeah, let's try new things. Let's take advantage of this technology and let's make poor choices. <laughs> I like that they actually said it out loud. Hey guys, let's make poor choices. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Let's make poor choices. Let's take this, uh, Let's take the schizophrenic robot and have him do a solo in the middle of Mad Dog. <laughs> Illogical. <You know? laughs> that does not compute. <laughs> like, <let's, laughs> you know what? John, do a solo and in the middle of it we'll just dump water we'll dump water all over the keyboard and see what happens. <laughs> or dump water all over this robot. What a world, what a world. <laughs> Start spinning out of control. <laughs> Oh, it's just, you know, Johnny Five did the solo. (laughs) Oh, Uh, too much. uh, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, Stephanie. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, Oh my God. I said, like, like half of our overseas listeners, like, what the hell are these guys even talking (laughs) about? These idiots talking about now. <laughs> like we don't know any of this, any of these references. We didn't. We were teenagers in America. We were teenagers in America in the eighties or nineties. Back then, or ten years old, or how old we were. Um, all right. So, Mad oh. Dog, what do you? Uh, what do you? How do you rank oh, Mad man. Dog? I feel like I want to rank it higher now because I'm having <laughs> such gets, a good time. <laughs> it gets points because of how much how, how good a laugh we're having. How comedic. Um, uh, you know what? Um, despite all that, though, I'll give it a three point five mm-hmm. um, because um, you know I feel like you know it's it's a good riff, but I feel like it's a little um, you know repetitive, I guess, what or like a little lacking in something. What, like at the beginning, like you know Richie's like I mean his end solo had this bite to it, but at the beginning there was really no kind of like crunch or like I guess like balls to that riff. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean <clears throat> I love Ian's delivery. Um, and I love like the way that the, you know, the verses flow and everything. I think it's a really cool song. Um, plus it has like one of my favorite Ian Gillen lines in it is she said a hard man is good to find. <laughs> Classic. I, I miss that. And then she raised a doubt. Mm. So, um, <laughs> yeah, then there was the, you know, like you said, the the John Lord solo was weird, um, and you know, like we're always like a fan of that. But I think if it were if it were a song where it just like went out into like the stratosphere, like you know, like like Hard Loving Man or Rat Bat Blue or Flight of the Rat or something like that, where it just like went into this huge jam, and he was just like, all right, I'm gonna whip out like every crazy freaking sound and go nuts. But it's like this was not the song for that type of solo. Um, and then Richie's end guitar solo 
um, was really good and had a, a really great sound to it. It sounded like he improvised it. And, um, and Gillen did some great, like, you know, screams showing that he was still top of his game. I, I think I would compare the John Lord solo to that. Uh, what song is it on? Um, on come taste the band where he's like, he's, he just comes in with this, like really like kind of late. I need love. Is it? Oh, I need love. Thank you. I was thinking love child. Um, to me, I need love. Dan and it. Yeah. And he just, he just comes in. He just comes in with Bernard and he does this awesome solo and he's so he's always like that this solo uh musically follows that kind of weird John Lord, Lord solo that we love but the sound of it is even the sound of it on Come Taste the Band is almost crazy too but it's just like too much too much going on with this one that it's just it, it kind of crossed that line for yeah. me if I think if he had done it on a Moog or a Hammond or whatever maybe it would have sunk in a little bit better but anyway enough about that that solo i'm also going to give it a 3.5 i think it's got a groove to it i'd be interested i don't i'm not too familiar with a lot of the live stuff from this era so i would like to try to see if i could dig up a live version like a lot mm. of these songs where i think they sound dated it's like well i'd love to hear them playing it live to hear what it sounds like when it's you don't have all these production problems holding it back um, right i don't want to say holding it back that's maybe too critical but you, you know what i mean like i'd love to i'd love to hear what it sounded like in an yeah. arena being played if I could find one and hear what it sounds like and being a little bit more raw. So um, what does Gillen have to say about Mad Dog? Well, he's got a pretty short quote. He says, right, what's next? Mad Dog. That was just good fun. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to (laughs) disagree. Yeah. After all the, uh, after all the laughs that we've had. Exactly. Um, Okay. So the next and final track of side one is black and white. We'll take you out of the episode with this final song of side one black and white. That's another great one right there. A great way to start. And it the off. Richie kind of matches him, but like just a little behind. So that's really cool. Oh, wow. It's like you fool no one. Listen to the drums. No, he uses a cowbell and you fool no one. Don't you hear it? He sounds like he's hitting a cowbell. Am I playing it? Am I hearing a different version from you? I mean, it's not as in your face as you fool no one, but. Hmm. It's like a immigrant song, kind of. Okay. All right. I hear that. Well, it's definitely driving, driving beat. Yeah, maybe because I'm listening here with. Maybe through 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 Zoom, it's losing that cowbell. Maybe you'll hear it when the episode comes out. And they cut off a minute from this song. Huh. Again, bringing it to that, like, under four minutes, just instead of just under five. Richie's got some really good, like, fills in there, too. I like them. I love this breakdown. 
Yeah, this is great. like classic tea purple jam you can hear glover like plucking around in the background but it sounds like lord cuts out entirely yeah I feel like some of the Ian Gillen background vocals are like, um, you know, kind of like uh, accidentally on purpose sounding. Yeah. And interesting that that album has an interesting tie into this album, which we'll get into probably more next episode. It's interesting, you haven't really had a proper, like, Blackmore and Lord duel on this album yet, but here's a harmonica and guitar duel. Which is cool, you don't hear that too much on Deep Purple album, like maybe with with, um, with Lazy. Yeah. Actually, even in Lazy, I don't think they, like, directly duel with each other. To me, this song kind of... Not lyrically or melodically, but it reminds me of kind of a feel of something that would be more like a Mark III era hmm. combined with the Gill- Gillen and Glover element. You hear that? There was a little Ian Pace in there that kind of like broke free. Yeah, I guarantee you they just faded this out as soon as the harmonica came in. They're like, next for the for the cassette version. I like how every time, every time we like we're like we're speaking in the voice of like somebody like a like a producer or like a, somebody like, uh, you know, an editor or something. We just like make them sound so dismissive. We're like, all right, next. <laughs> Boom. Done. Get rid of these assholes. <laughs> like, like, you know what? One of the qualities that we have to have when like we hire you for this position is being really dismissive. <laughs> yes. oh, OK, yeah, you're hired. Yes. <laughs> Please, yes, please do not work on building relationships with any of these people you're working with. (laughs) Make them feel as uncomfortable and unwelcome as possible. Yeah, we need you to be very like, you know, very dismissive. And, uh, you know, we want you to like, you know, hack this album for a cassette version. Just make it really (laughs) shitty. So in about 30 or 40 years, people can look back and go, what the hell were they thinking? Oh, I can do that. Great. Here you go. 70,000 a year. (laughs) The interesting thing, like, I mean, I've talked about it a lot that they they shortened a lot of these tracks for the cassette and the LP version. But I don't know if I remembered to mention that in subsequent CD releases, they've also used the shortened versions. So the only version that has the longer versions of these songs is the original CD release, the remastered and re-released ones. I don't know. Actually, Mm. I don't think they've done a remastered version, but the re-released 
versions that came out later in the 90s all had the, those other track listings. So I don't know. I mean, if this CD was getting released in 1987, it probably didn't have a ton of CD sales. So maybe so many more people would have been familiar with the cassette and LP versions that they decided, let's mm-hmm. put that out because it's what people are used to. Um, so I guess that would make sense for that reason. So if you're listening to this and you fall into that category, you'll probably say, wow, these songs, I'm noticing some slight differences in them because they seem longer because they are. Mm-hmm. All right. What do you rank black and white? Um, another 3.5 All right. for me. I think it's a solid effort. Um, you know, I think like, you know, some, I mean, you know, the, the performances are, are good. It's a solid song. I kind of think like some of the, some of the Ian Gillen lyrics are like a little like obvious on this one. They like, they get a little um, monotonous, you know, it's just like when he's like operator, uh, telephone, the song's about a telephone. This one's like. <laughs> Dial you know, tone, buttons or rotary. What other, what other things do I know about phones? Exactly. <laughs> this one is like, oh, black and white, reading the newspaper, scoop of the year, reporters. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, yeah, I get it. You know, it's that, 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 that's all that I heard, you know, is, is just like he kind of like, you know, it's it's part of the Ian Gillen school of like, you know, just kind of like obvious themes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of coming through the lyrics. And <laughs> but that's what we love about him at the same time. Right. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, for me, it's just like sometimes it's like, all right, this isn't like this isn't subtle enough, you know, (laughs) so it's like, um, you know, the lyrics bothered me a little bit in spot because, you know, you black and white. okay, like print, you know, and then he's just like, it's the scoop of the year. It's like, all right, you know, like (laughs) I know you're not talking about ice cream. You know, we're not talking about some rocky road here, buddy. Um. But anyways, um, yeah, overall, it's a solid song, but not enough to bring it to a to like a four. Yeah, but still pretty good. Yeah, I will agree with another in a line of three point fives. I think it's, uh, you know, it's I think it brings in some elements that kind of jazz it up again. But I mean, without sounding like a broken record, it's the production on this album. I think if the production was changed in this album, I could see easily a half point at least being added to most songs because the material is that you will get into it more in the next episode, but there, there's a lot of talk with them just not maybe thinking this is their greatest material or not being super happy with the songwriting or just not being happy with the album in general, even though that we had that quote of Gillen saying that's the, you know, it's interesting. You'll read two quotes by a, by a musical artist. One where they're like, oh, this is the best album since blah, blah. And then you read another one. It's like, ah, I really didn't care for the album. And it's, you know, how much of that is the marketing blitz leading? You can't go out and start talking to the press and be like, you got a new album coming out. How is it? Eh, I think it's one of our worst in a while. But then when you see the interviews years later or whatever, when they talk about the internal struggles or whatever, they're a little bit more honest. So I don't right. know how honest Gillen was being about saying it was the best since Fireball, but. That's what it is. Um, And speaking of Gillen, here's what Gillen has to say about black and white. He says, and then there's black and white, which is a lighthearted attack on the press and not only the press, but people's attitudes towards it. Some people believe that if they see something in black and white, it must be true. Although very often it isn't true at all. I mean, I have no objection to the press in the slightest bastards, but it's difficult to tell people. (laughs) It's classic Gillen. It's difficult to tell people that when uh, they read the papers isn't necessarily true. A reliable source informed me. A close friend said, what a load of bollocks. It can be entertaining and we go get a selection of newspapers at home. Although I don't get any music press because I don't like them (laughs) because I don't like music very much. (laughs) And then. Okay. The interviewer asks, like, what do you mean you don't make music? You've devoted your life to music. And he just kind of talks about um, 
um, that the music business doesn't interest him. Like he likes music, but he doesn't want to like read about the inner workings of music or the business or the drama. And I, I can, I can relate to that. Cause I find, I find the process of them doing the album. Uh, I mean, if you go to these, these crappy sites, which I won't even name, uh, there are always stories about two people from a band that used to be together. Oh, this person savaged this person by saying this, or there's a, Oh, this guy totally tore this guy apart. Or I can't believe he said this or said that. And it's, I have absolutely no interest in any of that, especially since those sites are usually lying or making or really exaggerating something just to get you to click. But to me, like the, the fighting and the stuff between Gillen and Blackmore is somewhat interesting and it's kind of funny at times. But to me, it's more like the interest, the interest is in how they made the music. And sometimes you see like a music documentary and it's all about the interpersonal problems and nothing about how they made the music come together, which I find just vastly more interesting. So there you go. That's black and white and side one of uh House of Blue Light. And before we move on, we have to, of course, do something, which is thanking our foundation level patrons. Coming in at the $3 Nobody's Perfect tier, we have Peter Gardo, Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, Andrew Meyer, Duncan Leesk, and Stuart McCord. And at the $1 made up name tier, Els Murders, Spacey Noodles, The Unsecured Leaky Mausoleum, Stephen Somerville, The Concerto 1999 Fanatic, Raf Calf, Spike the Rock Cat, JJ Stenard, Hank the Tank, and Flight of the Rat Bat Blue Light. Thank you to all of these wonderful folks for supporting the Deep Purple Podcast. Oh, look at that. It's a good thing we divided this up into two episodes, Johnny. Yeah, I was just saying, I was just thinking if we had to do a whole second side, it would be like, all right, here we go. <laughs> and then all the other stuff after. Yeah, this would be like a three, three and a half, four hour episode. And that's nobody needs that. All right, then I guess, well, I'll see you um, next week to record our next episode. Yes, sir. All right. Well, you have a All great, right. well, I was going to say a great night because it's a force of habit, but have a great more, rest of your Afternoon. morning and day. <laughs> <laughs> you too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. My dad is always secretly disappointed when the hurricane comes through and it's like a real dud. He's like, oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, oh, man, like, we don't even need FEMA or anything. (laughs) What a bummer. (laughs) (laughs) Total bummer.